0: This week, we're replaying Chris Landon's episode. We'll be back next week with a new episode from Sarah Sudhoff. And following that, the last episode of the first season, one where we turn the tables and my wife Laura asks me the questions. They'll be Ask Me Anything style. Find us on Instagram at HowThisWorksShow to contribute questions. My name is Skipper Chung-Warson, and I'm a design director in San Francisco, and this is How This Works, a show where I invite people on to talk about topics that they know incredibly well. And today, I have Chris Landon with me. Chris is going to talk to us about his lifelong love of horror movies and how that's played into his work as a screenwriter and as a director. Thanks for making time today, Chris.
1: Thanks for having me on, Skipper.
0: So... We'd like to start the show with getting to know our guests, and so I'd love to ask a general question. Chris, who are you? Who am I?
1: <laughs> this is this could take a while. <laughs> no, um,
0: we could get I, into the me- really metaphysical nature of it. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Exactly. I mean, I think first and foremost, I am a I am I'm a husband and a and a father. I live in Los Angeles, California. I was born and raised here. Okay. I grew up. In the entertainment industry, my dad was was very active. Uh, he was a writer and a, uh, a director, a producer, and actor. And so I was kind of like one of those Hollywood kids, so to speak. And okay. grew up on on TV sets. And so I think I I it was always around me. And so okay. I have I've always had a love for entertainment, but m- more specific, a love for for films, mm. and, sp- and even more specific for genre films <laughs> and I've always been a, a hardcore movie buff and you know that that kid that grew up watching tons and tons of movies every single weekend okay. instead of going outside and playing with other kids and things like that so um <laughs> that's that's really who I am and I did not evolve very much beyond my childhood okay. sort of a, an arrested development of sorts and I I still try <laughs> to I still love movies very 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 much even though I love my kids and my husband yeah. too <laughs>
0: So, Chris, what's something about you that um, many people might not guess? You know, something, of course, that you feel comfortable sharing.
1: Oh man, that's a, I'm. I, I think something that people probably don't know about me is that I'm obnoxiously uh, picky about food. Um, <laughs> only only the people only the people that are truly close to me know that, and it's like to a, it's it's something that annoyed my family growing up and annoys most people around me to this day. Um, yeah, because I just I. I, I despise so many things and I don't know why. And I took a test once that it was some sort of my, my, my husband, Cody got a, some kind of a, he saw something on Oprah or whatever. And it was a mail-in test where you could find out if you were a super taster. Okay. And, and it turns out that I guess I might be one of these people. And I guess super (laughs) tasters are, are people who have a heightened sense of taste and it's why sure. typically people who don't like things fall into this category and so oh. um i don't like fish or seafood or condiments of any kind um i don't like raw onions or tomatoes or so like there's a huge menu of things i don't like yeah and so yeah it's a weird tidbit about me <laughs> <laughs>
0: So, Chris, what are we talking about today? And I gave some of it away in the introduction, but, you know, I'd love to have my guests say the thing that we're going to talk about. Um, What are we going to talk about today that you know an awful lot about?
1: We're going to talk about horror movies. (laughs) (laughs) We're just going to talk about we're going to talk about genre filmmaking. Okay. Um, and it is something that i I know a lot about and it's also something that I'm still learning a lot about okay which which is kind of interesting yeah
0: how, how did you let, let's get into the time machine and, and rewind like how did you first discover horror or genre movies
1: I discovered horror when I was a wee lad. <laughs> I was a little kid and I mean look i have I have my first vivid memory of, of watching a horror film, okay which was my parents. We're watching uh, Hitchcock's Psycho oh. one one night, and I had snuck out of bed and into their bedroom without them knowing it. And I hid behind. They had this big swivel chair in their in their okay. room, and I hid behind this chair and I watched the movie and and I somehow made it through the shower scene. You know, wow. be, and I'm I was probably. I, no joke, I was about five. I think I was about five okay. years old. Um, okay. made it through the shower scene, stayed quiet, was riveted, riveted. Yeah. Um, yeah. and then at the end of the film, when when Norman Bates comes barreling down the basement stairs dressed as his mother, yeah. with that maniacal grin on his face with the knife raised, yeah. I sh- I shrieked. <laughs> I just I just started I just started screaming. And I think it was because I, you know, I was old enough to sort of understand sort of genders and, and I had never seen a man dressed as a woman and furthermore, um. a man dressed as a woman holding a knife, trying to kill somebody. <laughs> um, and so it's scared. It's just scared the living shit out of me. And, sure. and they, you know, my mom whisked me off to my, to my room and I was sort of both punished and, you know, um, <laughs> scolded and also like, you know, loved on, um, but I also, comforted. But I, I was comforted, but I do remember, I, I remember a thrill feeling a, a zing to it all. And then okay. when my, and then my parents, not long after divorced, not because of the incident, but <laughs> for, <laughs> for many other reasons. Sure. Um, and so my dad, you know, became a Sunday father, as they say, you know, he was, okay. he had us, he had us on the weekends Okay. And I remember going to the video store with my sister who was a couple years older than me. And, okay. you know, and we were like uh, any other kid growing up in, in the eighties where, you know, we would go to the video store and, you know, we'd rent movies that were sort of, you know, basic stuff, like Disney stuff or Amblin stuff or whatever.
2: Yeah. But
1: there was the horror section, which mm. was always the forbidden zone. And I, it's <laughs> like, and in, in, in an old school video stores, as you recall, like especially the mom and pop ones like the the horror section was always like adjacent to the hidden porn section so it's almost <laughs> like it all felt like oh my god what is that area it's all taboo yeah. it was so taboo and yeah. and i just remember one day i kind of wandered over to that section and started looking at the at the video cassette covers and yeah. I didn't and I didn't get in trouble. And I think oh. my sister and my sister and I picked a movie and I honestly wish I could remember which one it was. Okay. But he just was like he kind of shrugged and was like fine. And so we <laughs> we rented a we rented a horror movie and we Okay. and we oh, by the way, can I swear? Am I swearing aloud here? Yeah, yeah, know. yeah. Yeah. I fucking loved it. <laughs> and I think it made my dad you know, my dad was trying to be the good guy. Like the, he wanted to win this, this contest that he was in with my mother, which was like, who's ah. the coolest, who's the coolest parent. So he was going to be cool sure. dad. And part of that was like, I'm going to let my kids watch horror movies at a wildly inappropriate age.
2: <laughs> sure.
1: And I also think it was a fuck you to my mom, because like mm. my mom was trying to sort of manage our childhoods and be the custodian of sort of, you know, good parenting. And my dad was over here yeah. throwing like, Molotov cocktails at her. So, um, <laughs> and so we just started watching horror movies every weekend. And this was around when I was about seven years old. Okay. And it's, and he did manage it to some degree. Okay. Like there were certain films we were not allowed to watch. Um, there was a, one movie in particular that was called I Spit on Your Grave, um, mm. which was like a rape revenge movie. And so mm. he at least drew the line somewhere. <laughs> um, sure. But, but, you know, at, from seven on, we were watching the classics like Halloween and The okay. Exorcist and The Shining and all of these okay. films. Um, and then also some pretty weird, fringy, trashy stuff, mm. um, because the 80s was also the heyday of, of direct to video horror. You know, it was a sure. new it was a newer thing. Um, yeah. So you got a lot of kind of crazy stuff. But, um, yeah, we just we were. I I was just growing up on a steady diet of horror films. So how did you
0: know that that's something that you wanted to make, that that's a genre in which you wanted to work?
1: I don't think I really was able to wrap my brain around the idea of actually making these films until Mm. I was in high school. And really when I was a junior in high school, I started to, to pick up a camera Okay. and and make short films and they were weird ridiculous short films i usually wrote them or shot them when i was baked um <laughs> so my we would my friends and i we would yeah we would just get stoned and make make really weird stupid horror films i remember one still, of them do you still
0: have anything do i you still have, have any of them?
1: one of them somewhere okay. tucked away in our attic okay um And I believe if it was funny, I had a friend, I, one time I was, so I made one of the films that we made was a, was a, was the, a sequel to Xanadu, um, but reimagined as a zombie apocalypse film. (laughs) So it was people people on roller skates eating each other, which was kind of really the idea of it. And what's funny is that I remember I was, I was in my late twenties and I was stopped on, on the street here in LA by a total stranger who was like, Oh my God, Xanadu too. And I, I found out from this person that this short film I made with my friends in high school got became like a bootleg thing that got passed around at colleges and people, people like watched it at like when they were shit faced at like college parties and were laughing their asses (laughs) off. And so like I had like, I had a little taste of celebrity um, because we were all in the movies. Sure. But, uh, but sure. yeah, it was, it was started in high school, but even then it wasn't like a, Oh, Oh, I have this career path. I'm going to go pursue this, Yeah. but I did, I did want it somehow. So like, you know, I, I went to college, I, you know, majored in, in film production mm-hmm. and, and then what really opened, I think the world up for me was I ended up in an internship program at, at a production company okay. that was on the Disney lot. And it was called Woods Entertainment. And I, it was a program I wasn't supposed to get into. I actually, it was like this very elite, (laughs) fancy, it was a very elite, fancy program that was supposed to be all Ivy League. And my application got mixed, got mixed up. And they, the head of the company or the guy who owned the company, Kerry Woods, thought that I was his therapist's son (laughs) and they and and so he so he told the person who ran the program like oh you have to accept this guy because it's my therapist's son got it and so i got into this program and then they realized after the fact that i wasn't (laughs) that person but i was there so they better keep me um sure because it was really funny because all all the kids in the program, they literally all went to Harvard and Yale and Brown and Princeton. And I was the only person who went to Loyola Marymount. And they were like, who's this idiot in our group? (laughs) Um, (laughs) So, so, but it was in that program that I, I was exposed to how movies are, are are made from the ground up. And I read constantly. I was, I was always reading screenplays and that's where I was like, Oh, I could, I could do this. Mm. Did you ever
0: meet uh, the therapist's son? No.
1: <laughs> like, did
0: he ever show up at the program?
1: No, he got, he got, obviously he didn't get his shot because I took it. Right. Um, yeah. So, the, so, so thank you, whoever you are. I don't know who you are, but <laughs> I, I, you kickstarted my whole career path and, and partly responsible for, for my joy. So I'm very happy.
0: Yeah, that that's quite a happy accident for you anyway, like you said. Yeah. So you, you started along this path. You got this opportunity with the production company. What happens next? Like, when did you start making something? Like, understanding that you made some stuff in high school and there were things that you made in college as well. But when did you make something that you felt like was a success?
1: Well, first of all, I guess you have to define what success is. But I... um that's a good good point. (laughs) What started like my career in earnest was I made a short film. Okay. With a friend of mine. And it was a a film school buddy of mine. And it wasn't part of a class or part of any program. It was like we had a summer. And we both agreed that we didn't want to spend it sort of dicking around and doing nothing. And so I had written I had written something that thought really worked as a short film Mm. because it was one of those like it was dramatic and then it had a big twist like Shyamalan ending you know that made everybody gasp Mm. and we we begged for money we begged for everything and got it Mm -hmm. made this little short film and then I we did something really unusual back in the day there was this book called called LA411 and it was like a Hollywood production company book or something but it was a directory okay it had every address of every production company in, in Hollywood. And so we went to a, an indie theater sure. and we begged for a half hour of free time on an after, a Tuesday afternoon and asked if we could screen our short film at this theater that we were very proud of. Okay, We made postcards that were invites <laughs> to the screening. Yeah. And then I cold mailed these because this was pre, really pre-email. and and blasted the town and yeah and lo and behold like out of the 400 cards I sent out like three people showed yeah (laughs) (laughs) um but one of them was a producer okay and they and they were they said I like this and do you have a writing sample okay I had written a horror screenplay that I was I just finished it it was the only sample I had yeah and I gave it to them okay and they ended up giving this writing sample to Larry Clark. And Larry Clark was okay. a, a, a film director. He made a, a very, very, wildly um, popular film called Kids. But uh-huh. Larry was also a very, is a, he's a very well-known and very accomplished photographer. And Larry read my script and really liked it. And so this was the kind of unique situation that I ended up in, which was, um, they were looking to adapt a book
2: okay.
1: um, into, into a feature. Okay. And I was a nobody kid off the street in, in college. And so they said, look, we're going to give you the book and okay. we're going to let you adapt half of it. You can, okay. you can, you can write half the screenplay. And if we like what you write, then we'll we'll make a contract with you and we'll hire you officially. Okay. And if we don't like it, you just go on your way. Sure. Um, and so I, I stuck the landing. Thank God. Nice. Um, they liked what I wrote and then I, I finished the script and then this, and then the movie got made, which oh, was an wow. even bigger, which was an even bigger shock. So I'm, yeah. I'm 20, I'm 20 years old and I'm in college still. And my first feature gets made. And it was wow. at the time it was, it was James Woods and, uh, Melanie Griffith and Vincent Carthizer and like had a really good cast Wow. and had a big giant premiere at the Toronto International Film Festival and the whole bit so I went from total unknown obscurity to this sort of like overnight success mm. um, at a very 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 young age
2: yeah
1: and I and it was very jarring for me because okay. and because I was so young and because I was still in college I became very quickly the sort of thing that like people in Hollywood wanted because they were like oh this this guy's a this is a kid and he did this thing and it's impressive and and then i just ended up underwater you know way just no idea what i was doing yeah Um, but that was my that was my big break you know and what movie was that it was called another day in paradise okay it was a crazy experience for sure so
0: what how do i phrase this question So from that movie, what happened? Like, what was your next step uh, in realizing your dream of writing and directing um, horror movies?
1: Well, I'll start with this, which was I quickly decided after making my first short film Mm -hmm. that I... I was not ready for directing. Like I, I didn't want to I did not want to move into that space anymore because I felt like I just wasn't ready and I wanted to kind of work under other people and learn more about it. So I focused on the writing. Okay. And after Another Day in Paradise came out, I got assignment work quickly. So okay. I there was a there was a, a, a another photographer who had a book, um, Lauren Greenfield, who's another very well known established photographer who would canvas okay. like different parts of los angeles and whatnot and anyways they were they wanted to turn one of her her photography books into a movie and so i got that job okay and i botched that job pretty big time i see and i also was hired to adapt a, And it at this point uh, is the
0: sorry is the writing work that you're doing is it specific to horror
1: or is it more agnostic it's more agnostic i mean one project was was a drama and one project was okay. a tongue-in-cheek kind of werewolf movie um and 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 just kind of like sort of set the scene again i'm 2021 now and i'm getting sort of big studio gigs yeah and but i'm also concurrently i am i am coming to terms with my sexuality i'm coming out to my Uh, family okay and so there was a there was so much happening to me all at once. And I just did not have the tools or the bandwidth or whatever to sort of manage it all and deal with it. And so I see. long story long, I, um, <laughs> these writing jobs did not go well. I continued to pursue a writing career for a few more years. And then, you know, I got, I, I lost my, my agent. I kind of got basically fired by everybody. I see. and And so I stopped really stopped writing I see. And, and had to go and, and get a job, like grow up and get a fucking job. A friend of mine worked at MTV and he helped get me a job. And okay. I was, was working on a, on a, on a show called making the video for okay. MTV. And that was my paying gig. Okay. And I still continued to write a little bit on the side. And, uh, yeah, I was, I was stuck and, I kind of had given up on on the whole career thing. And then it got worse. Oh no. Oh no. <laughs> no, it's good. This is good stuff. Like this is like life like I mean good in the sense of like you go back and you see how all these sort of things that felt that were so painful yeah. um and so and felt insurmountable ended up becoming the bridges to your future. And I um so my career's in the shitter and i'm not terribly happy and i've given up on filmmaking altogether yeah. and then and then one of my best friends died oh. and and then I'm the sorry. next day yeah it was it was hard it was super hard and then the next day my sort of air quotes brother-in-law died um so it was like oh, these no. two deaths that happened back to back they literally were yeah. a day apart and i i was just like fuck i got to get I got to get out of here. And so I left Los Angeles for the first time in my life.
2: Okay.
1: Um, and moved to Austin, Texas. And that's where I think my new life began really, because I, at that point was like, okay, now I'm going to get my real estate license. Okay. And I'm going to, I'm going to sell houses in Texas. Um, and so I, I, I was alone there. I didn't really know anyone. I had a couple people around, but not for long. Yeah. But yeah, I just was by myself and I spent months and months on end not even speaking to other human beings because I didn't know anyone. And I'm and I'm an introvert, so it's not like I'm gonna go out and like meet people and make friends and (laughs) shit. So so I I write something for the first time there in a long, long, long time. And I wrote a pilot which I had never done before, a TV pilot.
2: Oh, okay.
1: And I did it as an exercise and I did it because I had something that I wanted to work out okay. in my brain and in my art. And then I, I ended up sending that script to a friend of mine who okay. who worked in Hollywood. And I said, will you read this and just tell me if it's terrible? Okay, Because I honestly didn't know anymore if I, if I was a decent writer or if I was ever a decent writer
2: Yeah,
1: and I sent it to her and then I didn't hear back from her. For a while. And so then I was like, oh, my God, I'm so (laughs) embarrassed. Like, why did I do this? My friend doesn't even
0: want to tell me. No.
1: And that's the worst feeling because you're like, oh, when your friend won't (laughs) call you back, you're in trouble. (laughs) That's right. Yeah. But my friend calls me back. Okay. And she says, hey, I'm sorry. It took me so long. But like, and I hope you don't mind, but I sold your pilot. (laughs) Oh. Oh. Yeah. So that was the big moment for me. That was the, it was like a, it was like a, a calling uh, and a, and a sort of, it was this redeeming sort of like a, a moment. And I, so I moved back to LA. Okay. And I started to actually sort of try this again Yeah. and care about this again. And that was in my, I was 29 years old, I think at that point. Okay. And that pilot never got made. Okay. It didn't happen, but while I was waiting to find out what was going to happen to that pilot, I wrote a script called Disturbia, which then got made. and that was my next that was my next big break. okay. And then I feel like from disturbia on was when I I had momentum and I was able to continue to work consistently.
0: yeah I, I love that analogy, you know, that idea of the things that hold us up are bridges to the things that we're gonna do next. Um, mm-hmm. so I, I love that that optimism that you carry with you, Chris, when you were working on the pilot or subsequently on Disturbia or any of the other writing that you did in sort of that reboot period, did you approach it differently? Are there different things that you did from the first time around?
1: I did. I did a lot of things differently. I think the first thing that I did was I stopped trying to cater to other people's, what I thought other people's wants and sort of needs and desires were like, Mm. I was always trying to sort of write stuff that I thought somebody would want to see. I see. And then I actually started to discover that, that I wanted to write things that I wanted to see. Mm. And so I think, I think Disturbia was a, is a good example of that because, you know, I grew up on Hitchcock funny enough, which is sort of where this conversation began.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, But I also grew up on John Hughes. And so my whole approach to to disturb you was, could I make Rear Window by way of John Hughes? Oh. And and that really has become, I would say, if there is a a certain kind of um, a plan or a, or a brand or whatever you want to call it in yeah. my career, it has been the kind of um, I like to take ideas or concepts and i like to sort of reinvent them mm. or turn them inside out you know what i mean and mm-hmm. so it's become a thing that i've done f- quite frequently in my career yeah and that and that was just because i wanted to i felt like there was we were missing there was a, there was a gap there was an, a niche that i wasn't seeing in hollywood and it was sort of like where where did these films go like yeah. where did this sort of like john hughes or Amblinie kind of vibe go yeah Um, and it seemed lacking and missing. And so that was something that I started to pursue. So that was one kind of thing that I, that I did differently. I started writing movies that I wanted to see instead of worrying about what other people thought. And then the other big thing was I, I treated it more like a job in Mm. many ways. Like Mm. I structured my day. I really sort of set goals and boundaries and sort of all of these different rules that I had for myself. But then moreover, I became a good listener Mm. and I stopped feeling challenged or threatened by other people's opinions. You know, Mm. that was the thing that I struggled with a lot earlier in my career. Was that like when I got notes from people or, you know, I, I didn't take it as feedback. I took it as criticism I see, and I didn't know the difference. Mm. And I, I finally learned that it's not, we are all in this together, not always, but most of the time, everyone really is trying to make a good film. Sure. And even though your opinion may differ, often when I would get a note that I didn't necessarily agree with, I learned that even though it's not the right approach, they're stopping in that spot for a reason. Yeah. Something is something's not clicking for them. And so my job was to try and interpret that. I see. And at least do it in a way that made it work for me. Yeah. So it really just became sort of a a growing up process and a embracing the process and embracing the collaborative nature of it too
0: yeah it sounds like a couple things were happening for you number one discovering this level of authenticity in the way in which you told stories like going back and telling the kind of stories that were interesting to you but then also simultaneously not taking it personal right it was business yeah yeah and the difference between critique and feedback uh this notion that not everything someone says is true just because someone's feeling it. You may not agree. You can look at it and entertain that notion, but in the end, this is your work.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's such a funny job writing and directing and just filmmaking in general, because you are working within a very subjective medium. Yeah. And yet a lot of people will try to sort of assert things as sort of like these very like, you know, definitive and objective like this is how it's supposed to be and you're like but no it's not it's like you know it could be anything yeah right but like i said it's been the journey has really been about becoming a better listener and a better partner Mm. and it's made me infinitely happier with the work too um because you can kind of step into things and not be so emotional and crazy and you know yeah you can just do the do the work sometimes
0: yeah well, one thing that I want to get into because you do have a movie that's out right now, and you no, know, I, and I know you know you didn't agree to be on the podcast to necessarily plug your movie, but I think that there's so many things that exist inside of Freaky that fit into some of the things that we've just talked about. I wonder if you can talk a little bit about how you came up with that idea specifically, because it it sounds almost exactly like what you just talked about this notion of like mashing up several different ideas into one sort of melange of 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 a movie
1: right it's funny so freaky it was actually not my idea okay. um so my writing partner michael kennedy um, uh, okay. this was actually an idea that he brought to me and i had just come off of making happy death day yep. and then happy death day to you which were all mashups as well it was sort of yeah. you know, the slasher version of of groundhog day so yeah i did not want to do a mashup movie um I see. and so so when Michael came to me, he just, he had an idea for a movie that he wanted to go out and pitch. And as a writer friend, yeah, he just needed a soundboard. He wanted to yeah. pitch it to somebody before it was like a practice run.
2: Yeah. Okay.
1: And he pitched it to me and I fell in love with it uh, right away. Sure. And, and I immediately started pitching a ton of stuff back to him. Like, okay. Oh, you have to have this scene and you got to do this and this character and this <laughs> stuff. And then it just dawned on us that it was something that we should do together Sure. And so we so we wrote it together, which was a first for me. I okay. have either written things, um, I've rewritten other people's work or okay. I've written my own stuff. And this was the first time where I was gonna physically sit down with another human being and write a movie with them. Okay. But it was very easy because Michael and I are both huge genre fans. You know, we love horror movies, and he okay. like me grew up in in, in genre. Okay. Um but I think what really unified us and really drove the process and why we wanted to make freaky was that we both were bullied, closeted gay kids, mm. um, in high school. Okay. And so in freaky, the, the, the lead character, Millie Kessler, um, she's a very sort of put upon bullied wallflower type of a character, yeah. um, who switches bodies with a serial killer. Mm. Um, and so, suddenly this this maniac is walking around in this girl's body and starts to pick (laughs) off starts to pick off a bunch of people who also happen to be Millie's tormentors, you know. And so for Michael and I, I think there was a real there was a certain amount of of fantasy, you know, and and wish fulfillment in the premise. And so it's why I think we were both really drawn. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. So that's why we wrote the movie together.
0: Yeah. What are, and I know that you've been asked this question a ton of times, but um, what are some of your favorite horror films and TV shows?
1: Oh God, this is always like a tough one though, too, because there's too many, there's too many. And, and, and the influences are all over the place. Yeah, Horror movies. I mean, look, I have said this before. Like I worship at the altar of John Carpenter for many reasons. Um, but he has made, you know, two of, and again, I have many favorite horror films, but he's made two, you know, he, between the original Halloween, obviously. And the thing, um, I mean, those are, those are amazing, amazing features, Yeah. but you know, so those are, those are top, 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 but I mean, it's always the classics. It's the exorcist. Rosemary's baby was a very, very influential movie. Uh, very, um, I've seen that film probably over a hundred times. And I love that movie so much because I learned so much about performance. You know, like I, I think it's such a great uh-huh. study in, in, in magnificent performances. So I think that's, that's kind of the – that's it for me on the, on, the, on the feature side of it. But I grew up watching lots of different movies and different kinds of movies yeah. that it had such a strong influence on me. You know, another movie that I watched over and over and over again as a kid that was not a horror film was Terms of Endearment. And it's an interesting oh, okay. thing to bring up because if you look at Happy Death Day and its sequel and Freaky, mm-hmm. they deal with death and loss, yeah. and even as a kid, yeah. that touched me in a pretty deep way. And so that was a that was a very influential movie for me as well. Um, TV shows like I I've been all over the place with that <laughs> stuff. I mean, like I literally just finished Game of Thrones. Like oh, okay. yeah. I I had never watched Game of Thrones and I watched it during, you know, the pandemic because it was finally an opportunity to catch up to something and
2: sure.
1: And I really loved not watching it during the whole crazy hysteria that was around yeah. that show. But I got yeah. it. Like I watched this right. thing and I was like, "Oh, that was the one of the most magnificent, unbelievably epic things I've ever seen." period start to finish so and i didn't hate the end of it as much as everybody else did because i don't think i had the emotion like i wasn't caught in the fervor of like for i know what they did i i have opinions about what i think went wrong there but i still really enjoyed it um but Yeah. yeah i mean i'm much more of a movie guy way more
0: okay well, speaking of movies, you know, a couple of years ago, I was putting together a movie screening and it was supposed to be like best worst Halloween movies or uh, mm-hmm. horror movies rather. Yeah. And thought, Chris is the person to ask. Like, And I sent you a text and I think literally within five minutes, you sent me back one, two, three, four movies in quick succession. You am disappointed mended.
1: it took me that long. <laughs> <laughs> um,
0: you sent me Mother's Day, the 1980 film, uh, Don't Go in the Woods. Theater of Blood, 1973, and uh no, I guess one, two. Sorry, I've lost my list. One, two, three. Was it just so three? three? Yeah. So three? I, I think I it was. Have just many three. More I I'm sure, I'm that, sure but... you did, but why why are those, in your opinion, the best worst
1: horror movies? By the way, again, as I go back to the previous answer, like that's just a sample. Totally. Yeah. Like it is that list can get a whole lot longer. Yeah. I think they're they're great because they are, I mean, look, there's a couple of those are just like super camp, you know, um, they're really over the top. You know, the acting is over the top there's, you know, in some cases like the filmmaking is quality of the filmmaking is, is somewhat poor,
2: Yeah.
1: but there's also still something so watchable about them and they're fun. And that's what I, and that's my whole thing. It's sort of like, for me, the ultimate sin is to be boring, you know? Mm. And so they're never that, you know, and, and, that, and they're just like, and you can still make odd discoveries with yeah. multiple viewings. And that's another thing that I really appreciate in, okay. in movies. It's like, you you don't notice something that you catch another time and and it's not necessarily a good thing you could be like oh my god i didn't notice the boom pop into frame there or you know they're wearing two different shoes or whatever but like um, (laughs) the goofs yeah the goofs and like the just sort of like i mean there's just there's a there's a movie from the 80s called madman okay um which also i think was called madman mars okay um And it was another slasher, you know, whatever. But there's like a scene in the movie. There's like a hot tub scene with this couple. And they're like, are swirling around each other. And it goes on for like 10 fucking minutes. And the music is terrible. And you just, if you watch this and you watch this with other people, you die, you howl. And I think that's the other thing too, that it is the communal aspect of it too. Like there is nothing better than getting a bunch of people together and watching a bad horror movie. Like it's, it's better than any comedy, you know? So I think that's my, that's where my love for, for things that are cheesy and campy and, you know, it's just, it's such an awesome experience to have with other people.
0: Yeah. I love that you just talked about one of the scenes from happy death day to you around being not just dealing with horror, but also dealing with death um, without giving too much away, one of the main characters faces the decision to have her mother re-die. Um, it's funny. I, I, I'm not a. I don't usually get emotional about things, but like even just thinking about that scene makes me really emotional, because I think that you hit such a note of poignancy that I just didn't expect to uh, in initially watching this movie. And so the question that I was going to ask you, like, I'm not a horror movie person. I'm not like, Mm -hmm. I I generally don't like watching horror movies. I have a hard line on not watching zombie movies. What do you say to people who don't like, who say, I'm not a horror person. I don't, I don't like those films.
1: Well, if I didn't like you already, Skipper, I would tell you to fuck off and die. (laughs) But... That's what I usually say to people that don't like (laughs) horror films. No, I'm (laughs) kidding. I, look, I think, I think that a lot of people have a fear of death or a fear of, or they don't like things that are gruesome or gory or whatever the, the, the the case may be. Yeah. And I, and I think sometimes what happens a lot too, is that people dismiss horror films, you know, sort of Mm. like cruel or you know kind of like warped or twisted or sick or whatever the case may be i i and a lot of horror films do not give their characters the sort of proper attention you know sort of like they don't they don't spend the time to develop the characters or give them arcs or give them agency and so part of my approach to stuff especially over the past few years has been very focused on just that, which is I'm mm. going to use, I'm going to use this genre as like a Trojan horse
2: mm-hmm.
1: and I'm going to smuggle much more kind of weightier themes inside of a movie that just looks cute and fun and scary. Yeah. And I did that with happy death. Day, and I really did that with happy death day to you because yeah. I was still wrestling and I continue to wrestle with, my grief and my loss. And we touched on it earlier when one of my close friends passed away, but you know, my father passed away when I was 16 and my mother Mm -hmm. passed away two years before I made happy death day. Mm -hmm. And so there's been a lot of grief that has informed my work. And so for me, it's sort of, I think that you can there, I think that non horror fans out there should know that there is still A lot to gain from the genre if you find if you know if you have a good guidebook you know i think that as people realize too that like it can be an incredibly powerful genre you know you look at a movie like get out which everybody references but like yeah that is a classic example of how the genre can be used to incredible powerful social effect yeah you know and and we all wrestle with everyday horrors, you know? That's and that's, true. I think, why many horror fans like me become horror fans because we're looking for a place to put our fear,
2: yeah,
1: you know, because life is horrific. And so it was no accident that I fell in love with horror when my life as a child was in total chaos and flux. You know, sure. I was going through a divorce with my parents and uh, there was so much uncertainty and terror in my life in that sense Mm. you know that like i had this thing that i could go and watch and i could be afraid and it was it was very cathartic Mm. so to horror non-horror fans you're missing out (laughs) you could save you'll save some fucking money on therapy (laughs) because by the way true like horror fans i find in my experience of sort of going out into the world and meeting so many of them they're very happy well-adjusted people (laughs) I'm more worried about the motherfucker who watches Hallmark all day. <laughs> that That's person true. is, that person is going to kill you <laughs> in real life. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Not the horror fan, you yeah. know? So yeah, it's, it's, it's very cathartic. Yeah.
0: Well, Chris, is there anything that we haven't talked about, but that you want to get into?
1: No, okay. I think we covered it. We covered it.
0: Yeah, this has been, this has been a great conversation so far. So I'd love to turn to just a couple of the closing questions that um, we close out every show with. What's something in your life or in your work, a lesson that you've learned um, that you wish you would have learned earlier?
1: Oh God, how do I answer this without it (laughs) sounding trite? Uh, I, I would probably try and teach myself or tell myself that, um, I don't have to be so hard on myself, Mm. you know, that like I, that, that the measure of success was not going to be, you know, it was not built by movies or, you know, sort of like those types of achievements, you know, I think I put so much, I put so much pressure on myself early on that like, I had to, I had to be somebody special or important and I had to do, great things or i know there's just i just remember that constant sort of a constant sense of feeling disappointed in myself yeah and it was relentless and i and it and it really made me very unhappy and sad and um and so i wish i could have told myself that like chill the fuck out like that stuff actually (laughs) that stuff doesn't matter that much you know that there are other things in life that are far more important um And, and I think becoming a husband and becoming, especially becoming a father really pulled focus for me in ways that I never could have imagined. Um, so yeah, I think I would just tell myself, like, it's all cool. Don't worry about it. (laughs) It's going to work out. That's great. (laughs) Yeah.
0: So I know that, um, Freaky is available to watch online in all the places. Like I, I think I saw it on, on Apple TV the other day, the service, not the physical device, but, uh what else should we we be watching for that you have coming up
1: ah well i mean it's 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 nothing that's coming out anytime soon okay. um i've got i've got a couple i've we are in pre-production on a couple movies okay. two that i'm producing one that i wrote one is a is a is a adaptation of an unbelievable book called my best friend's exorcism um okay. which was written by a guy named grady Hendrix. it's a really Really good book, highly recommend it. It is, it's if you can imagine, you know, The Exorcist by way of Stand by Me. (laughs) Okay. Um, Okay. It's it's great. It's really cool. So I'm I'm really excited about that feature. It's for Amazon. It starts shooting in March, and so I'm super excited about that. And then the other film that I wrote and I'm producing is a reboot of the Paranormal Activity franchise, which is not something I actually ever thought I would do again. sure but i but i couldn't resist i had an idea for it and and we just kind of ran with it so that's something Uh, that also that also starts shooting in march um so that's hopefully gonna come out you know sometime i think it's supposed to they're gonna try and release it in october we'll see i see and that's and that's kind of what's happening right now on the directing front you know there's there's stuff that i'm trying to to pull together but you know it's a it's a tricky business so and no one's in a hurry right now thank god so it's fine (laughs) <laughs> sure yeah. xanadu 3 not xanadu three. i would love it totally <laughs> totally i was on a i was on a i was on a call today and we were talking about area 51 but i always yeah. fuck that up and i call it area 54 and then i realized that i'm trying to make like a movie about like cocaine snorting aliens in a nightclub <laughs> or something <laughs> and i'm like oh wait maybe that's just what i should be doing now
0: I think that's what you should be doing. Yeah, absolutely. It it could
1: could be good. Come on. Disco era alien movie. Come on. I'd watch it. I would.
0: (laughs) Well, thanks, Chris. (laughs) I really appreciate you making time today.
1: It was awesome. Thanks, Skipper. It was really fun.
0: And thank you for listening to How This Works. This episode was edited and mastered by Troy Lococo. Please subscribe and leave us a review in your favorite podcast app. This is our first season. And so it would mean so much if you could just tell one other person about the show and why they should listen. You can find How This Works online at howthisworks.show. It's three words, no dashes. Again, that's howthisworks.show. We're also active on social media. I hope that you enjoyed my conversation with Chris. I had a great time. And we'll talk again soon.
1: so they offered me a job they offered me a writing job like a legit writing job um yeah and just talking want me to do it again
0: yeah one more time sorry sometimes when i say i I see my siri goes off it really bugs the shit out of me
1: (laughs) um so i'll take it back a little bit so i um